I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to a February edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Guy Barter, Chief Horticulturist here at the RHS. Today, there's advice on growing cucumbers for pickling and snowdrop propagation, plus seasonal tips on key jobs to do in your garden this month. Let's kick off today's podcast with a visit to the advisory team to tackle some of your gardening questions. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt. I'm Principal Horticultural Advisor. My name's James Lawrence. I work alongside Lee as Senior Advisor at RHS Wisley. I'm Jenny Bowden and I am one of the Horticultural Advisors also at RHS Garden Wisley. Right, we snuck up the stairs in the laboratory building to one of the offices on this fine, sunny February day, which we're really enjoying seeing all the flowers that are beginning to pop out. But we're here to answer some of your questions, and we've got a whole load of them that are coming through email and Twitter, and we're going to get started. So the first question comes from Hazel Anwar by email. She says, I'm getting married in early September. I'd like to grow flowers to cut for the church and those are going to be used at the table decorations and for the reception. Can you suggest some flowers that would be suitable, please? We have no colour schemes yet and have a large south-facing garden in Bedfordshire. Is this a fool's errand? Now, Jenny, I'm kind of liking already she's saying no colour schemes have been chosen. What do you think? I think it's all quite exciting, actually, because normally you find that people ask this question and they want colour for June, uh, which is really far too early for things to really have got going if you do your sowing in spring. It's not enough time for them to build off a head of steam and actually start flowering. But early September, you can really start to think about it now and get the seeds in and you should have good crops of flowers to choose from and not having a colour choice yet leaves it wide open. So I came up with a few thoughts of things that you could actually be planting or sowing now which include things like ami, which is it's an umbrella type flower, a bit like a cow parsley, it's in that family and they can be sown now and it's white loads and loads of flowers that should be doing well by september there's a whole range of things and don't forget dahlias cosmos is very very easy to grow and comes in shades of deep pink light pink white and they're daisy type flowers really with a yellow center and they're remarkably easy to grow in fact i'd probably leave off sowing them until april 
for foliage, you could grow mint really easily. That's lovely in cut flower arrangements. You could grow variegated mint as a contrast to your other plants. Zinnias are daisy type plants as well that you could sow early in the season. You know, February, March would be good for them as well. And then don't forget grasses, the bunny's tails, things like that. Has anybody else got any suggestions? Because I'm getting quite excited. <laughs> I actually had a friend of mine who was in a similar situation and actually was looking for cut flowers around that time of year. And many of the things Jenny's mentioned uh, were used, so particularly dahlias are a good bet. But there's also some things like some asters, and I believe they actually had some crocosmias, which give them a kind of grass-like foliage and some smaller, bright flowers as, to use as accents just to pick up those colours. What I would say is that although this is a very exciting thing to do and it's a good timing to plan it, do think about potentially having a backup plan as well. Because if things don't work out for whatever reason, it's always good to know that there'll be less stress as the wedding approaches if you've got a plan B. The next question comes from Bob Rancorn from Lancaster. He writes, what is the best cucumber for growing for pickling? And do I need a cold frame? Now, James, I'm thinking you might know your pickles. Yeah. In terms of pickling cucumbers, they tend to be varieties which are naturally slightly shorter growing and they tend to have slightly thicker skins. And that gives them the classic crunch when you bite into them. And it also helps with the preserving process. So there are some varieties that definitely do make better pickling cucumbers. There's one called Country Fair, which is quite widely used. And that's quite regularly coming out as a favourite uh, amongst people. There is also a variety called Little Leaf, which, as the name suggests, has a smaller leaf as well as a shorter cucumber. And you're really looking at growing them between 10 and 12 centimetres to get that kind of perfect size and texture relationship for pickling. Jenny, he mentions about does he need a cold frame? Obviously, we often associate cucumbers with steamy glass houses. Can you grow these outside? I think really you're going to need cover to grow them under cover because I think the skins are going to be better prepared. But having a bit more shelter, they're going to get a lot tougher if they're outside. So a cold frame might be a bit small. You're going to need the height, but certainly a cold greenhouse would be a good idea. And don't forget, you can find more information on growing fruit and vegetables, not just these, on the RHS website. If you look on there at rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. We've had an email from Earl Crosby. They want to know, it's an old chestnut, I know, but how do I prune wisteria? Mine is intertwined with an apple tree that it's grown up. So this one sounds like it's got into quite a bird's nest. Of course, anyone who comes to Wisley will see now the arch walk where it's all neatly trained. How do they go from intertwined mess to neatly pruned wisteria? Well, <laughs> sounds like quite a project. Generally, you tend to build up a framework for wisteria and the apple tree is obviously the frame up which the wisteria is growing. Perhaps the twining round is the actual framework that they want to prune to. If not, and they want to untwiddle it and start again, this is the time to renovate um, wisteria. It's still not too late to do it. It's getting on a little bit now, but if you wanted to cut back a large amount and start again and retrain it, then this would be the time to do it. Try not to take out more than 25% 
to a third. But if you're quite happy with generally the, the amount of growth, the framework of it, then this is the time to prune back all the side shoots that are coming off that framework back to two or three buds. So it's quite a severe prune back to your framework. So that's what you do. And then in the summer, all the growth that gets long and straggly, you take back to within a foot of the framework. Because it's that process of cutting back to just a stumpy bit with two or three buds. And then we get the growth in summer and then shortening that back and then shortening it again back to the two or three buds that creates those little spurs with the flower buds on. So it's one that will tolerate a lot of pruning. And as you do it, you will actually, by this time, be able to see which are the flower buds which are leaf buds so you don't end up cutting far too much off the more mature spurs as lee mentions are the ones that have the little round buds on and you can sort of see them in quite close together and they're rounder and that's what's going to flower so make sure you don't cut those off for the next question we've been tweeted by rachel anderson i love snowdrops she says i'd like to have more variety of these delightful flowers i'm on a limited budget And I'm wondering how best to propagate them or divide them so that it can have more. Right, what do we think for this one? In terms of dividing snowdrops, generally we wait for the plants to kind of give us a sign as to when they're ready. So that normally takes place when the foliage starts turning yellow. And that tells us that the energy is diverting back in down towards the bulb and the plant is potentially ready to be lifted or divided. So... That's typically meaning that by about sort of March time, you're looking at lifting and dividing them. Because by the time the foliage dies down, it's often in April or early May, you just can't find them again. So if you don't do it now, you're often lost your opportunity. So there is some thought that actually it might be best done in late summer, but who knows where they are at that time. I would say it is one of those that just going to take time as well. I had a very small collection of bulbs that were dug up and given me in September. That was about 20 years ago. Well, initially, of course, they just made one small clump, but the way they kind of naturally divide, if they're happy in an area, over 20 years, that little clump that filled no more than about 10 centimetres, four inches, now covers a couple of metres square. So dividing will definitely help move them round, but there is just a a process of waiting as well, and it will happen naturally. So the longer you can be in your garden, the, the more rewards you'll get. Thank you for your tweet. If you would like to tweet us, don't forget we have a Twitter clinic on Tuesdays between 12 noon and 2pm where Chris and Becky, our advisors, will be there to answer your questions. Don't forget the Twitter handle. It's at the underscore RHS and then your questions will get to us. Donna Hunt from London. My neighbour is renovating their house and garden. They've told me that they're replacing the garden fence at the end of February. It's on a shared boundary, so my side has veteran climbers such as Clematis armandii, honeysuckle and night-scented jasmine. They're much-loved plants. How best can I preserve them? Can I prune them back and then retrain them over the new fence, or do I need to get new ones? Well, it's one of those common things, isn't it? Because fences don't last forever, and what do we do with the plants that are attached to them? And indeed, we're probably quite attached to the plants. Any ideas, James? 
the ownership of borders is something that comes up fairly regularly. And in this case, it's stated that it is a shared border. But if anyone is unsure, it's a case of really often going back to house deeds, if possible. There is a misconception that it's always one side that belongs to you, and that's not actually always the case. So it's always best to check these things out, and particularly when we're trying to foster good relationships between neighbours. In terms of what you can actually do to try and preserve the plants. The range of climbers in this particular case, there are some there that are not going to like to be cut back particularly hard, whereas others such as the honeysuckle will probably tolerate it. So we might need to look at a way of perhaps managing to detach the climbers from the fence and putting them onto a temporary support, such as a large piece of trellis, which can be leaned away from the fence while the work is going on. There may well be a little bit of damage to the climbers. They may well have to be pruned back a little bit. I think what concerns me most here is really the timing. The time the work is due to take place may not be the best time to be cutting back some of these things, particularly the more tender things or the things that are more likely to get damaged by a frost after that pruning. So trying to take them away from the fence and maintain as much leaning away so the work can be done would be how I would personally tackle it. The next person is Sheila Brown by email. I heard in the Garden podcast that in 2020 is the International Year of Plant Health. I'm confused about xylella. Does that mean I should avoid buying bulbs and plants from abroad in garden centres? For example, are Dutch bulbs okay? I'm going to get our senior plant pathologist, Liz Beale. Hello, Liz. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. Right. Well, um, does it mean that she should avoid buying plants and bulbs from abroad? So Xylella is a bacterium that was introduced into Puglia in Italy in 2013. It's since spread throughout Europe and it's a big threat to the UK. It's not currently here and obviously we want to do all we can to keep it out because it has a really broad host range of over 500 plants. And this would be really devastating because it could affect our environment, our gardens and our crops in the UK if it came in. You can have a look on the RHS webpage for Xylella. And this gives a list of the high risk hosts in the UK, as well as a link to a full list of hosts that are affected by Xylella. So are there any kind of high risk plants that people should avoid buying in garden centres? So um, obviously check that it's sourced from the UK, that's important. And the high-risk hosts include rosemary, lavender, um, prunus species, nirium, which is oleander, coffee, hebe and Spanish broom, as well as grapevine and vaccinium or blueberries, also high-risk hosts. So if they're going off on holiday this year... Does that mean they should be really careful? That's right. You don't want to bring anything back from um, abroad when you go on holiday. You want to buy either UK source plants or make sure it has a plant passport if you do buy anything and obviously avoid the high-risk hosts. Next question. Gavin Burke from Guildford. What are the symptoms of xylella? Should I be worried about my existing plants or only my new ones? I'm very concerned and would like to be vigilant. Now, Liz, is this something that's going to crop up on existing plants by itself? So anything that you've had in your garden for more than five years, if it's been healthy all this time and suddenly develops symptoms, for xylella, this includes scorching, 
browning of the leaves, which actually can be confused with frost or other stress damage. Um, so if it's been fine up until now, then it's very unlikely to be xylella. It's a very low risk. If it's something that you've had in the garden recently that may have been imported, then you know this is more of a concern if it develops these symptoms. You would want to sort of establish that it isn't anything else. So if it isn't dry at the roots, it's got drought symptoms or frost damage, if you can sort of rule these things out, then it's more of a concern. And then that's a good point to contact the Plant Health Agency, PHSI. You can also report it through Tree Alert, which allows you to report symptoms if you're concerned about xylella. That's the website, isn't it? Tree that's Alert. right, yes. So if people Google that, they'll get the right page. That's right. So you've got these plants which are old five years and probably okay, and then you've got your new ones. But how would the xylella spread between the, the two sets of plants in your garden? So xylella is a bacterium and it's actually spread by sap-sucking insects such as leafhoppers and the bacterium blocks the xylem tissue of the plant which then stops uptake of water so this is why they get the scorched drought-like symptoms and then of course it completely cuts off the supply of water for the plant and it dies and it can cause death of you know a large number of plants at different hosts um, and it's quite devastating the effects of it. So what are the plant health teams at the RHS planning for this international year of plant health? So we're planning to have a garden at Chelsea Flower Show to promote the year of plant health and to talk about how, what people can do in their own gardens to try and reduce the risk of spreading plant pests and diseases. And we'll be there as a lot of the shows, the flower shows, with our advice desk as well. So even if you can't make it to Chelsea, you can always come along and chat to us there. Thanks very much, Liz, for coming along and helping us with those Zylella questions. It, I'm sure, makes it much clearer for the people listening. You're welcome. Thanks. Great to hear from the RHS advisory team this month. For me, the top job this month will be cutting back my roses. Once they're cut back, I'm going to give them a good feed of compost and fertiliser and get ready for masses of flowers this summer. The RHS advisory team will be back with more seasonal advice and plant problem solving next month. And if you want to hear more info on Xylella, check out our sister programme, The Garden Podcast, in their February edition. We would hate it if the plants from RHS Chelsea Flower Show were wasted when the show finishes. Great effort is made to recycle and reuse them at other gardens. One of the gardens the RHS is building at Chelsea Flower Show is a garden for friendship. A garden where ideas are put forward about how to counter loneliness, how people can meet other people through gardening. It's being designed by Joe Thompson and the plants from this garden are going to be relocated when the show closes to a mental health trust where we'll make a garden that will enable the people who live and work in the mental health trust to meet, enjoy the pleasures of gardening and help with their recovery. We've asked all the mental health trusts in England to enter this competition to win these plants. We've already done two, one in Highgate in Islington in London and one in near Dawlish in Devon. We're now judging which lucky recipient is going to get the plants this year. The judges are Zoe Ball, the well-known radio presenter, Tim Kendall, head of mental health at the National Health Service, and Joe Thompson. 
The winners will be announced by Zoe Ball on her radio show around about the 20th of February. We're not quite sure when, but um, it'll be a very exciting moment and then the hard work will really begin as we involve the winning trust in the building and reconstruction of Joe Thompson's Chelsea Flower Show Garden. Now, houseplants. These have seen a tremendous and well-deserved surge in popularity in the last few years. Our last RHS gardening podcast was a celebration of domestic flora featuring passionate houseplant experts, legendary plantswoman and Radio 4 Gardener's Question Time panellist Anne Swivenbank, Wisley curator Matthew Pottage and award-winning garden writer and broadcaster Jane Perome. If you haven't listened yet, it's a very lively discussion, jam-packed with practical plant tips. It's titled Houseplant Takeover, and it's available to download now from our podcast feed. After the discussion, our expert guests shared some of their personal favourite houseplants and their tips for helping them perform at their best. Don't worry about scrabbling for a pen. You can find a list of the plants discussed on our podcast page. So my name's Matthew Pottage and I'm the curator of RHS Garden Wisley and today I'm profiling my one of my favourite houseplants actually. It's an Araucaria, of course it is, it's a monkey puzzle relative and it's Araucaria Cunninghamii. Which is related to Araucaria heterophylla or the Norfolk Island pine which is quite a well-known houseplant but Araucaria cunninghamii has a much bluer, almost silver foliage. It has a shiny peeling bark. The foliage is a bit rougher to the touch. It's not as soft as the Norfolk Island pine and I keep this in quite a sunny windowsill at the end of my living room. It's in a bit of a doorway with glass windows around it. I do keep it pruned because naturally this would want to be a tree so it's kind of a bit of a mop head of foliage and it's got a bit of a curly coiled old stem and the roots are quite visible on the top and I've purposely got it planted quite shallow so you can see off those spiraling roots. It's quite an easy plant to grow. It really just needs good light levels. It doesn't want it too hot. I guess a trick with a lot of conifers is don't let them completely dry out because they don't give you the signs that they're thirsty. Whereas something like a peace lily would wilt or a maranta would roll up its leaves, a conifer generally looks the same. And it wouldn't be until you know several weeks later if you let it completely dry out, you'd start to see those signs of stress. So you know, once a week in the summer check it a couple of times a month in the winter it's not too thirsty and there's not much more to it really it's low maintenance good foliage and just something a little bit different i'm Anne swithinbank a gardening writer and broadcaster the plant i'm profiling is the parallel peperomia or peperomia putiolata and I really like this little plant. It's quite unusual for a peperomia because it's got long trailing stems. The stems are red and the leaves, which are in the style of a watermelon peperomia, come out in little whirls around the stem. Sometimes there are three leaves and sometimes four. So they're green and the markings along them, uh, which make them look like a little watermelon, are a sort of a pale greeny cream colour. I've 
I've grown this in a variety of places. It's almost succulent. It grows in a very shallow clay pot at the moment, and I have grown it in a pedestal sort of planter so it can pour out of the top, and that doesn't have a drainage hole in the bottom, and it's grown very well there too. I think it probably prefers its current north-facing windowsill, but I have grown it very well on a south-facing windowsill as well. So here's a very pretty trailing plant that's very undemanding, behaves like a succulent, and doesn't seem to mind where it lives. My name is Jane Perone and I'm a garden writer and host of a podcast on the ledge and the plant I'm talking about today is string of pearls, string of beads. It's got a few different common names. I love the Latin name Senecio rolianus, although that's recently changed and it's now Curio rolianus, just to keep me on my toes. So the common name is fairly descriptive. This is a string of beads. Each stem is a long, thin wire, and along that wire are a set of, well, they look just like green peas, and they're about that size. This is an adapted leaf, uh, and this plant grows in places where very high light and not much moisture, so its adaptation of that leaf is to be round so that it doesn't lose a lot of moisture through evaporation. Now, lots of people seem to struggle to grow this plant. I find it quite easy, but I guess that's probably a number of factors. Factor one, mine's growing in a terracotta pot in a very gritty potting mix. So lots of air around the roots, which is what this plant loves. And it's getting a lot of light from a glass roof and also from windows. So it's getting plenty of light and not too much moisture, especially through the winter when it needs to be kept quite dry. Lots of people buy this plant and then it's in, in the original pot and the original potting mix and it's just not ideal. So it's a good one to repot as soon as you get it. I just find it's very easy to grow and a lovely plant to have. It's very tactile. Uh, you just have to be a little bit careful that you don't end up sort of pulling it down on your head because our mind's on a very high shelf. Some lovely stories there about houseplants and my favourite houseplant is Monstera, the Swiss cheese plant. It's so willing, it scrabbles everywhere and every so often when it gets too big in summer you can take it out into the garden, chop it up, it regrows perfectly and with luck you can use some of the severed plants to make more houseplants. If we've whetted your appetite for more indoor growing, why not visit RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, where a giant houseplant takeover exhibition in the glass house is proving a huge hit with visitors young and old. It's a fantastical, imaginative celebration of the creative possibilities of indoor plants. Being on the staff, I can sneak in and have a look behind the scenes. When you go in, it's a stage set. It's basically been made by the same people who make theatre stage sets. So you wander from room to room and each room is decorated with different sets of plants and very clever, witty plots have been used, like a weighing machine is in the kitchen, for example, and the table is covered in a mad tea party of plants planted in teacups and teapots. And there's plants on the floor and on the shelves and hanging from the roof. It's absolutely amazing. I was lucky enough to be able to hear all about it from Emma Allen, who's the Glasshouse manager. And you can hear our conversation on episode 170. 
It runs until the 1st of March and is well worth a visit. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you've time, please do rate and review our podcasts. It really helps other people who love plants to find us and to share knowledge and love of gardening. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, from me, Guy Barter, and all the podcast team, goodbye. down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Crest robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit Cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.